The Aussie and Kiwi dollars are trading below key support levels this morning, near nine-month lows. That's because the US dollar is strong on high US rate expectations and commodity currencies are struggling because of China's cooling growth. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And in our bonus deep dive, we hear from Crystal Tan about what El Nino means for inflation, especially this time that fuel and fertilizer costs are high. Last time they weren't. We had a very strong El Nino event in 2015-2016, but we didn't see a very sharp rise in food inflation. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ, the Aussie dollar is trading at nine-month lows, just below the key 65 US cents mark this morning. And the Kiwi dollar has also dropped below a key level. It's now at 59.75 US cents and went as low as 59.5 cents overnight. ANZ's head of FX research, Marjabin Zaman, sees a couple of factors at work here. The US dollar is stronger because the US economy has been so resilient and US interest rates are seeing staying higher for longer. And the New Zealand and Australian dollars tend to be more exposed when there's concerns around China's economy. Remember, of course, China is the largest trading partner for both of those economies. The ongoing pessimism in China has broadly impacted, you know, risk currencies, looking at whether it's Aussie dollar, Kiwi dollar, and to some extent, even the euro. With the economic data in China, which we have seen over the last week and, you know, possibly this week, I think we will see Kiwi dollar, Aussie dollar continue to move lower in the near term on the back of this data. And I, and I think the correlation between this remains pretty strong. Number two, stock markets in China and Hong Kong dropped as much as 2% in overnight trade, although they recovered slightly in late trade. That's on concern about payment defaults on Friday by one of China's largest wealth management product companies. Since this news on the potential defaults involve a, uh, one of the largest trust companies in China with also some uh, investment by a central government-owned uh, state-owned companies. So the market react to that uh, quite strongly. And uh, we really need to uh, watch closely how this event evolve. Number three, US retail sales data due tonight is expected to show 0.5% growth in core sales in July. But ANZ senior international economist Tom Kenny sees a risk it might be lower for three reasons. Firstly, jobs and wages growth has been cooling in the US. And secondly, the monetary policy tightening of the last year is really now squeezing on lending to households. Here's Tom with the last one. And thirdly, the excess savings that a lot of the households accumulated uh, over the pandemic era in relation to government-related funding there, that's largely run out at present. So that was boosting retail spending to the tune of around about $100 billion per month in recent months, according to some Fed studies. In coming months, the moratorium on student debt relief is likely to be another headwind for spending. Number four, we're also looking out for wage inflation data out of Australia later today. ANZ's Head of Australian Economics, Adam Boyton, is forecasting the wage price index will have risen 0.9% in the June quarter. Now that's up a tad from 0.8% in the March quarter. It's still relatively subdued when you look at the annual inflation of 3.7% unchanged. Adam sees two reasons why Australia's numbers have been a bit lower than others until now. The first is that 
the wages bargaining or determining process in Australia tends to be a bit more institutionalised than in some other economies. So we have a, an annual minimum wage decision, which doesn't just impact the federal minimum wage, but also the minimum wages for a range of awards. And then enterprise bargains are a feature of the Australian wages system. And these are arrangements between companies and their employees that can run for a number of years. So what we're starting to see now is enterprise agreements or enterprise bargains that are being negotiated now are generally paying higher wage increases than those ones that were struck a few years ago. And we're going to increasingly see a bit of a pickup in the wages data here. Number five. But as Adam says, the real action for Australian wages and for the RBA to watch like a hawk is likely to be in the current September quarter. That's when the recent minimum wage increase flows through into pay packets. He sees wage inflation rising from 0.9% in the June quarter to 1.3% in the September quarter. That doesn't sound like a big deal, but as Adam explains, it really is. The largest ever quarterly increase we've seen in the wage price index since this thing came into existence in 1997 has only been 1.1. So we think you're going to get a record increase in the wage price index next quarter when we get that. Adam Boyton there. Now it's time for our bonus deep dive interview into a big topical theme, and there really isn't a much bigger story at the moment than the weather. And in the Asia-Pacific region, El Nino has officially been declared to be back, and it's likely to hit agricultural production over the next year. My colleague, Catherine Dyer, asked ANZ Asia economist Crystal Tan from Singapore about which countries were most vulnerable to El Nino. From an agriculture production perspective, Thailand does stand out as more vulnerable because its year-to-date precipitation has been well below historical ranges. So as a result, water levels in some of the key dams are quite low. So on top of this, we have expectations of a drier than usual rainy season. This is causing concerns about water supply and the government has also started to respond by encouraging farmers to just restrict their crops to just one this year instead of the usual two and also considering maybe curbing rice farming in some areas where the water supply situation is more dire. But if we consider import dependency and inflation sensitivity, then I would say it's the Philippines that stand out. So as things stand, we have seen a pretty sharp rise in the prices of rice, which is a staple in the region's diet. So this is a key concern. And Philippines has a challenging combination of both a high dependence on imported supplies for rice and also rice making up a very large share of its inflation basket at 9%. And what about palm oil production? Yes, palm oil production is also a concern because drier conditions in Malaysia and Indonesia, which together account for something like 80% of the world's palm oil production, is going to be a challenge because if we end up with dry conditions that result in a higher risk of forest fires, that's going to have a negative spillover impact on palm oil production. But this typically shows up with a lag. So... For example, the Malaysian Palm Oil Board is projecting a potential um, reduction in supplies, but the impact will only be clear in the 2024 year. Right. So what what sort of policy mechanisms are available to governments to help manage the impacts of an El Nino? So we see well-targeted policies such as managing food reserves, 
such as deploying price stabilization measures or also providing financial support to affected farmers that can help mitigate some of the adverse effects of El Nino on both growth and inflation. So, so far this year, what we've seen is that India has started to impose export restrictions on sugar and rice in order to cap domestic prices. And in Malaysia, we also have price controls in place for rice. In Indonesia, authorities there have been distributing rice assistance. So policymakers are well aware of the risks that El Nino entails and are starting to put together some mitigating measures. Okay, are some of those governments in a better position to act compared to others? Yeah, I mean, if we consider from a fiscal point of view, if we look at how much fiscal space each economy has, Indonesia does stand out as having a better fiscal buffer. So its fiscal position this year has been very strong thanks to revenue collection in the year to date just being exceeding targets. So it does have quite a lot of buffer to deploy if it so desires in order to keep prices uh, in place. And also I th- countries that have moved earlier in terms of securing imported supplies in, in, in terms of buffering their food reserves will also be in a better position to manage price volatility in the coming month. ANZ's Crystal Tan there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Tuesday, August the 15th. Catch you tomorrow with the latest on US retail sales and those Australian wages. This podcast was recorded for publication on behalf of ANZ. All associated disclosures and disclaimers can be viewed using the link in your media player or the ANZ website through which you access this podcast. All care has been taken to report the views of ANZ Research in the creation of this podcast, but as an independent host, any differing interpretations are strictly mine and not ANZ's. Feel free to contact your ANZ point of contact with any questions.